Merry Christmas again to you all. I know that's a little early, but that's what this season is for. So uh, my name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Community Church, and uh, it's always a joy to be together as a church family. And I know that there are people who are watching online, and so welcome to you as well. And uh, I hope that God is speaking to you during this series um, as, we, as we have Christmas here at Grace. Um, today we're going to be studying Joseph, the adoptive father of Jesus. And the title for our message this morning is Charged to Father God's Son. Charged to Father God's Son. We'll be meditating on the Christmas story from Matthew chapters 1 and 2 and from Luke and there, your big idea for today, I'm going to give it to you now, is remarkably, God called Joseph to be the adoptive father of his son. And we're going to kind of open that up a little bit and look at that, just how amazing it is that God would entrust his son to an earthly father, and we're going to look at that section. But before we do that, I want to pray, so if you'll join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are a good, great, kind, generous, loving Father. You protect us, you provide for us, you remain with us, you know what's best for us, and you look out for us. And Lord, as we look at how you entrusted your Son to an earthly Father, Lord, we we ask that you might open up to us a familiar story so that we might see more of your plan and your design and your uh, amazing miracle in bringing your son to this earth. Like Mary, we want to be um, pondering these things in our heart. Help us today to learn from this gracious choosing of Joseph a godly man, a just man, but a man who is in need of your grace, who is not righteous because of himself, but only through his faith. And so, Lord, we ask you to lead our time together. Help me to speak clearly. Help these words to be true to your and faithful to your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, 50% of ministers consider leaving the church each month. 50% of ministers now starting out will not last five years. 70% of clergy do not have someone they consider a close friend. 75% report significant stress-related crisis at least once in their ministry. 83% of clergy spouses want their spouse to leave the pastoral ministry. 94% of clergy families feel the pressures of a pastor's ministry. And 90% of clergy of all denominations will not stay in ministry long enough to reach the age of retirement. And 90% of pastors feel that they're inadequately trained to cope with the ministry demands. Phrases like, beyond my ability, exceed my skill set, out of my comfort zone, above my pay grade, might describe how they feel at times. Spurgeon's advice to pastoral students was, 
If you can do anything else, do it. If you can stay out of ministry, stay out of ministry. And today I wonder if Spurgeon had opportunity to speak what his advice would be to Joseph. Because if anyone was called to serve beyond his skill set, above his pay grade, and out of his comfort zone, it would be Joseph, the husband of Mary, the adoptive father of Jesus. This morning as we look at our Christmas story, I want to look at three things together. Um, these won't be seen on all your outlines, so just I'm just giving you the first category is going to be on for quite a while. I'm going to look, look through the situation, the biblical account that we have of, of Joseph. Secondly, we're going to look at what we know from the text about Joseph. Thirdly, we're going to look at what we don't know and what we can't, what's not recorded that we would wonder about. And then we're going to look at lessons that we can draw from his life. So let's jump in and what the scripture says. Let's look at the engagement in Nazareth. In Matthew chapter 1 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph was a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So first of all, we see that there's a betrothal here. Now in the Jewish system of marriage, uh, betrothal does not mean engagement like it would for us. Betrothal was marriage, part of marriage. So there's two phases to marriage. There was the actual betrothal part when there were contracts were entered into and agreements were made and that sealed the deal, so to speak, and marriage was considered uh, marriage at that, at that point. And then sometime later, approximately a year or so, it would take for the husband to prepare himself, to prepare a place for them to stay, and then he would give word and he would come and there would be a marriage procession and there would be a big feast and so forth, and they would celebrate and consummate the marriage at that time. So it says that Mary was betrothed to Joseph, and it later on in verse 19 says that it was her husband Joseph. So we know that she was married at that point. But it says before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit, and we studied that last week. But again, she was pregnant by God's Spirit. And so this husband, Joseph, was now faced with a dilemma. The law allowed him actually to have her stoned because she was his wife and she has been unfaithful. Or in this case, he could write her uh, a letter of, of divorce. And in this case, he was considering that. It says her husband, Joseph, being a just man, that means he was morally upright. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have any sin, but he was a morally upright man much like a Cornelius or someone from the Old Testament who kept the law. He was just and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So think about that. You're married. You have a wife. You're expecting. You're looking forward to being joined together with her. Um, you're anticipating this, and then you find out that she's pregnant. And how... Most men, I'm sure, would be furious, not only disappointed, but feel jilted, feel betrayed, uh, a lot of anger. And yet, at this time, 
and we don't know exactly how much he knew at that point, other than that she was pregnant. She was pregnant. It says that he was unwilling to put her to shame. And so we see a little bit of a window into this life of this man, Joseph. You know, not only it says was he a just man, but he actually seemed to be a kind man, a merciful man. And in his in this betrayal, it seemed he was unwilling to put her to shame, to have her publicly shamed and have her publicly stoned. Now, she didn't go as far as, he didn't go as far as we might think about a Christian could actually forgive and go ahead and get married. But at this point, you know, this was just a kindness that he was to show her. And he resolved to do this quietly, not to make a big deal out of it publicly and to shame her. And it goes on, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So he was just considering this, putting uh, Mary away, not shaming her, but doing this quietly. And as he was considering these things, it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And I was thinking, wow, uh, Mary got like the angel in front of her. His is in a dream. You know, he's getting his in a dream. But to me, that really speaks of his sensitivity. I'm sure it wasn't just like a, a typical dream. I'm sure that it was a real dream. He knew that this was not something he just fabricated in his imagination in his dreams, but this was something that's so startling and so real that the angel of the Lord spoke to him in that way. And he said his name, Joseph, son of David. You see, Joseph, as we'll see in a few moments here, was a descendant of King David. And he says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Speaking of this child was not, did not come through adultery or unfaithfulness. This is a child of the Holy Spirit. This is God's son. And he says, don't fear to take her. And I was thinking, you know, what, what is he going to be afraid of? Well, the shame that's going to come on him if he takes this woman as his wife. The the embarrassment that he wanted to keep from his wife, he's going to now be the man, looks like he was, they had this baby outside of their final steps in, in marriage, prematurely. Don't fear the shame you're going to experience. Don't fear the loss of reputation, perhaps even the business opportunities as people will look down on you. And don't be afraid that she's going to be unfaithful to you because this, she was not unfaithful to you. This is, this is a work of God. This is the Holy Spirit's child. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I imagine that every man and woman who were a descendant over the generations from King David on, wondered if that Messiah child, that prophetic promise, was going to come through them or come to them. Every, every, 
Every daughter, as she was raised by her mother, had wondered, is it possible that the Messiah will come through me since I am a descendant of David? And in this case, as we'll see, both Joseph and Mary were descendants of King David, each through a different uh, lineage from David, through a different um, father. He will, his name, excuse me, she will have bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus meaning Jehovah saves, for he will save his people from their sins. This is the promise that came to him. In the midst of all the shame and the fears and the things that he's wrestling with in his mind, now he's, now he's thinking about this is the Messiah. This is the promised one. This is the one who will save people. This is the one who will bring even more than just deliverance as a nation. But he will actually bring salvation to the people. In verse 22, And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so this virgin as prophesied hundreds of years before by the prophet Isaiah, virgin will conceive and bear a son, and his name will be Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This child that your wife is about to have is God with us. I mean, that had to be... In all the, in all the turmoil of soul and all the wonderings of what's going to happen... To, to us, what's going to happen to her, and all these things now he's seen these promises that had been made from hundreds of years before that the Jewish people had longed for, now we're seeing the reality of this is how it's happening. It's coming to you, Joseph. It's coming to your wife. God with us is through this child. And it says, and when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded Commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I, I love, as we're going to see, the response of Joseph to the angel of the Lord. When, he, when God spoke to him, he responded. He obeyed. You know, I, I think of my own life, how many times God has prompted me or spoken to me or stirred me, showed me something really important, something really essential, something that's going to really benefit my life or benefit someone else's or further his kingdom purposes or affect someone's reputation or whatever it is and how, you know, there's a, there's a balking. But I just love how his example, he woke from his sleep, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. And even you see uh, a self-control here. He did not, he knew her not until she had given birth to the son. Because this virgin birth was so important to the prophecy, he wasn't even going to jeopardize it even as he consummated, even as he was finished that marriage ceremony, we, we, we would understand. He didn't come into her until after the birth of Jesus, it says here. 
to ensure the testimony of the virgin birth. Now, this is where Nazareth is. We have a map here. Um, as you can see here, you have Galilee kind of toward the top, and I circled Nazareth. This is where they're from. You can see Cana, you know, on the top there, that, that first miracle he did at the wedding. And this is where he's from. He's from the, the hill country. He's from, he's from Nazareth, it says. So let's continue. The birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. In Luke chapter 2, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to all the world that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which was called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with his wife Mary. And you can put the map up, the next map up. So you see this trip that was taken um, from Nazareth down through Samaria to Bethlehem. About 80, 90 miles, starting some hill country down along the river to toward the Dead Sea. And then up all the rest of the way until you got to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, not too far from Bethlehem. Now, many of you women have had, have delivered babies, okay? Imagine your last week on a donkey. Traveling. Spending a night outside eating your husband's cooking. Some people think that it took about four days to travel that 90 miles. The person, you know, I read one person, they said, well, whoever wrote that had to be a man because you can't go 20 miles on a, on a donkey nine months pregnant. So the estimates are probably took about four days to seven days of traveling during that time. Not in a comfortable car, not in a flat easy roads, but just the difficulties of going from, you know, 90 miles on a donkey. Not to mention Braxton Hicks, con you know, contractions or bathroom stops or throwing up or backaches and massages. And this is a dad accompanying this woman. This isn't mom with her, you know. What first dads know what they're talking about when they're starting to work with, you know, a pregnant wife in their last week or so? He's about ready to be there when the baby's delivered, too. Talk about over your pay grade, you know. And so it says in Luke chapter 2, it says, oh, I'm sorry. We continue to be, he, so he, verse 5, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. So again, I want you to, I want you to imagine this, dads. Those of you who are first-time first dads, you, you hardly know this woman. You know, you've were, you were, you were, you were, you were just been married for a very short period of time. You've dealt with all the harassing, hassle, embarrassment of the pregnancy. 
now you're packing up. What can you pack if you have a pregnant woman on a, on a, on a donkey? You know, what are you taking with you? And you're traveling with this, this child. Then you get to the place where the, the birth is going to be, and there's no place for you. Because, of course, it took you longer to get there, so everybody got there before you and took all the rooms. Who knows if there were midwives available? Exhausted, perhaps no midwife, no mom, as far as we can tell, exhausted. And dad, the one to help you. Can you imagine the fears, the exhaustion, much less, you know, getting to the end now and you got to push at the end on your first one, you know. Now, I had the opportunity to be with my wife on the birth of seven children, and I was even there, you know, and as, we, as she delivered all of them. Uh, two of them were home births, so I was even really more involved than those, those there. And I'll tell you, there's not a more helpless feeling than seeing a birth and knowing I can't do anything to help you. I can do very little to help you. I can pray for you. I can sing to you. I can massage you a little bit. But the baby was born, and we will save a lot of that for Christmas Eve when we talk about that time. But let me just move ahead a little bit to Luke chapter 2, verse 21. It says, And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So, Joseph, Mary had their son, and they, we'll see, they were amazed by what God was doing, even around that birth. But eight days later, that, that son needed to be circumcised. And so, according to the law, according to the Jewish custom, they made sure that that was done. He was called Jesus. That was his, his name. He was called, and uh, that was the name given by the angel. So grateful, exhausted, exhausted, over his head. You know, I was, uh, I was reminded of a song that, that really meant a lot years ago to me, I think, when I thought about Joseph. Uh, it's by Michael Card. We're not going to play it, but I'll read to you the words from it. Michael Card's called Joseph's Song. It says, because I think this expresses how inadequate, how humbled Joseph, I think, was at that time. It said, how can it be this baby in my arms sleeping now so peacefully, the Son of God, the angel said, how could it be? Lord, I know he's not my own, not my flesh, not my bone. Still, Father, let this baby be the Son of my love. Father, show me where I fit into this plan of yours. How can a man be father to the Son of God? Father, for all my life I've been a simple carpenter. How can I raise a king? How can I raise a king? He looks so small, his face and hands so fair. And when he cries, the sun seems to disappear. And when he laughs, it shines again. How could it be? Can you imagine the wonder that Joseph had? And then 40 days later, according to the law, we have the dedication in Jerusalem. 
It says, and when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so the law of Moses required that it, because of, of what happened there in Egypt and how God took the firstborn uh, of, of Egypt and, and they died. And God said, Israel, your firstborn males are mine and you can buy them back. And there was various, there's a couple different ways that you could pay for that son uh, as a dedication to God. But it says, it says here that according to what was said of the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, that was the sacrifice, that was the payment made by a poor person. So we know that Joseph and Mary started off about as poor as you could be. And we have a map here. So you can see Bethlehem, and uh, this is Bethlehem, and they went up for this um, purification uh, on the 40th day to Jerusalem, about five miles away. But we're saving uh, the Magi, but the Magi came, and they, we'll see about that coming up in weeks to come here. But... After the Magi had come, sometime later, probably somewhere between a year or two after, you know, they were back in uh, Bethlehem. It says that you know, the, the Magi came and visited them in a house. So you know, Joseph, though poor, was responsible and, and actually took her out. And they, she weren't, they weren't still in a cave or whatever it was you know, that he was born in. And now they're in a home. But the Magi, as we'll hear about, you know, had just left, and so you have the flight to Egypt. It says in Matthew 2.13, Now when they, the wise men, had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. This is the second time he's had this dream. He's had a dream where the angel of the Lord appears to him. And he said, Rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. Again, his immediate response. He gets up in the night to slip out, to protect his wife, to protect his baby. And so they, they took probably the wealth that they had received, and that was God's provision for them because now they're going to spend a long period of time in a different country, sojourning there until whenever God says it's time to move again. This was to fill, fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son again. God saw all these things operating, all these things happening, even the horrendous things that Herod would do. So we have a map here, and you'll see how they traveled from Bethlehem down into Egypt. And then the return to Nazareth, dodging Bethlehem. It says in Matthew chapter 2, 19, But when Herod died, 
behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream, dream number three, to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Continue here. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in, a, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warmed in a dream, dream number four, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, he would be called a Nazarene. God orchestrates all these dangers, difficulties, upheavals, God saw those things from the beginning. And it says here that he himself, as he was heading back, is like, okay, I had this dream. It says, go back, go back to Israel. He's on his way back to Israel, and he finds out that Herod's son is on the throne, and he's thinking, oh my gosh, this is not really wise for me to go to Bethlehem. I don't think, I don't think that's a good destination. And it says why he was afraid to go there which actually, you know, the indication is that that fear was a legitimate fear. It says then he got another dream. It says, nope, don't go there. Go back. Go back to Nazareth. Go back to Galilee where you're originally from. And so map, he already, so he kind of started in Egypt, started to go back to where he was in Bethlehem area with Jerusalem not too far away. And says, nope, not supposed to go there. And he gets sent back up to Galilee, to Nazareth. Years passed, many years passed. As we'll see, the family was growing in a moment here. And we have an account with, with Joseph in Luke chapter 2, the, the boy Jesus in the temple, and it says this, chapter 2, verse 41, and now his parents went to Jerusalem every year, so there's, you see a faithfulness of their fulfilling the responsibility of a God-fearing Jewish family, went to Jerusalem every year for the Feast of the Passover. And we, when he, this is Jesus, was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they, were, they went a day's journey but when they began to search for him among the relatives and acquaintances, and they did not find him, he returned, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Next slide. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. I don't know why they were astonished. They were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son... Why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So this he's 12 years old now. He had done life with mom and dad and family members for years. And 
to understand, you know, at that time there was travel, you know, when you traveled like that, you normally, you know, you, the, the women kind of hung together, kind of caught up on the latest information about everybody, you know, swap recipes or whatever they're doing. And the guys were all together and stuff like that. So it wasn't that big a deal to, to think, it, you know, you, we thought we were Jesus with you or something like that. But the reality was they realized he's not here and they had to go back. It took them days, three days, looking for him. Finally find him in the, in the temple. Astonished that he's there. Astonished that he's there. He says, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? You know, I, I should be here. This is, this is my, I'm here to learn about my father, you know, to learn more about my father. And they did not understand what he was saying to them. They didn't understand it. And there's something there that I think, you know, just kind of says, wow, what, what has happened, Joseph, Mary, to, to what was where you were with you know this baby, the son of God. He's in your womb. You, you bear this child. You, you spent time in other countries running from, you know, from kings in order to protect his life. And now, years later, you just, it's kind of like you're not dialed in to what, who he is or what he's doing. And before you think too poorly of, of him as a parent or them as parents, you know, and, and uh, think about this. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 54, uh, later on in Jesus' ministry, he was coming to his hometown. Matthew 13 says this, And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get the wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did these, this man get these things? Okay, he has at least four brothers. He's got four brothers here. And it doesn't say how many sisters, but it says all his sisters. So let's, let's say at least two. He's, he's one of seven. If they all came, you know, timely. Seven kids. And you're trying to head back to, you know, your home. And, you know, where's Jesus? I don't know. I think he was taking care of, you know, of, of, of his brothers or something like that. I, you know, but the reality is, think about your life. If you've got lots and lots of kids, lots of little ones squirming around. Think about what life was like for a, a carpenter who had to provide for seven kids. Think back, back, up, think back about that, that, uh, that delivery that came after Mary was pregnant all that period of time, now she's going every year to Jerusalem, or she's going to Jerusalem, pregnant probably with little ones that's nursing. You know, What would your life be like? Now, it doesn't give us a whole lot of insight here other than the fact that this, this is, you know, uh, my wife and I had seven kids. And so I figured out, we, you know, from the birth of our first one to the birth of our seventh one was 11 and a half years. So if this is year 12 for, uh, you know, when Jesus is in the temple, I'm thinking this, there's a lot going on in this household. But I was thinking about my own life, too. Like when life gets like that. You know, you've, you've been awed by the Son of God. You've been struck by how amazing it is that Jesus saves. You've, 
you've, you've had the richness of the Christmas story in your life. But now, hey, just part of my life, part of my schedule. What time do we have to be there for the Christmas Eve service? Yeah, we can do that or something like that. And life just moves along. And you've lost connection of the miracle of who this child is. Just like Mary and Joseph, they're like, we've been so anxious about you. Don't you know what you're doing to us? How unkind of you to treat us like this. You know what? They said, didn't you know I need to be about my father's business? And he said, and, there, and it says, and they did not understand the saying he was spoken to them. How easy it is in the midst of the busyness of life to lose the power and the amazement of who the Son of God is. The miracle that this child would be God in our flesh. So let's talk about Joseph. What do we know about him? Okay, he's, we know he's a descendant of King David, which puts him in a line that could be the Messiah's coming through him. We know he was a just man, which means he was a moral man. It doesn't mean he was saved. It just means that he kept the law. So when he did transgress, he, he, he made his penance. He had the sacrifices. He planned to be kind to Mary before knowing God's plan. He protected and provided for Mary and, and Jesus and the family. And it is clear that Jesus, it says, he, he grew in wisdom and stature and faith with God and men. During that time, he was going to the synagogue. He was being trained in how to understand the scriptures and so forth because he, he had that knowledge when he got there to be with those uh, in the temple. He listened to and obeyed the angel of the Lord. And four times there were dreams that he immediately took action. He was a poor carpenter and taught Jesus his trade of carpentry. Later in life, though, he seemed unaware of Jesus' father's connection to his father. He didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. And he did not appear to be around during Jesus' public ministry. During the public ministry, we don't have anything recorded that Joseph ever said. We never have a, an instance where Jesus says, oh, I remember when my father said da-da-da-da-da. You know, he's never quoting his dad. He's never dad speaking. When the ministry happens, you see Mary at times with him in the ministry. But what really kind of begins to tip it off that probably he, he, he passed away, he probably died already, is that when he was at the cross and he sees his mother and he sees John, he says, John, take care of her. Mom, this is, this is, your, this is your son. Son, this is your mother. Take care, basically, take care of her. So we don't know, you know, uh, we, we do know that he didn't appear to be involved or in, engaged in Jesus' public ministry. And, and th Joseph, you know, when I think about Joseph, I think there's, you know, there's a lot that we don't know, you know, like, like, for example, what did Joseph talk about with Jesus? You know, what, what, what were their conversations about, you know? Um, what was it like to see Magi worship your toddler? What was that like? What was it like to raise a perfect child? That's what I want to know what it was like. What would that be like? And how many times did you spank him? 
That's what I want to know too. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, you didn't do that on purpose. Oh, I'm sorry, you, you, you weren't to blame in that situation. Like, how, how, did he, how did he cope with always being the one to say, I'm sorry, you know, in every situation? I'm sorry, Jesus, I lost my temper again, you know. And what is it like to teach God how to eat, how to walk, how to play? What's it like to change his diapers? Moms, dads. What shaping influence did he have on Jesus' life? And what did he endure from the gossip of those people around him? And how did he feel about Herod and hearing what Herod had done to all the, all the, the, the boy children when he fled? Because he knew when he came back, I don't want to go near this guy. And his son, what did he feel at that? And what happened to Joseph that at 12 years old he seemed clueless as to Jesus' real father. This is, his, this, is your, this is your real father. What happened to him in that period of time? And what was home-like life with four brothers and two sisters? I mean, it couldn't be very meditative, could it? Yeah. So Joseph... in many ways is commendable to us. His justice, his response to God, his loving sacrifice for his wife and his kids, his willingness to take risks. But there's a lot either we don't know or, or what we do know. He says, this, this is just a man. It's a man. How could it be that God would entrust his son to just a man, just a woman? You know, as good as he is or seems to be or as commendable as he is to us dads, as good as an example as he might be to us, the reality is he falls way short of the one he's raising. He falls really short. It says in Isaiah 64, it says, we've all become one like who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like polluted gar a polluted garment. Filthy rags. Even the best of us is not worthy of raising the Son of God. And Romans chapter 3 says, There's none righteous, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. They've all turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. There's not one person who is really worthy of this calling. And then I started to think about, well, who of us are worthy of any calling? <laughs> what God asks us to do with our, our own children, and I think, I'm not worthy of this. I'm going to fail a lot here. As a pastor, I'll tell you, I, I, I'm humbled. Every time I stand here, I think, well, wait a minute, Lord. I don't, you know, I fall short all the time. Yesterday, day before that, I, I could tell you ways that I, 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 I blew it, you know. And yet God has chosen men and women to be his means of 
in this case, raising his son, but doing his work, serving his people. God calls you and I to be part of a holy work, a great work, an eternal work. He calls us unqualified, above our, above our grade level, you know, above our skills, above our abilities, above our heart in many times to be the means of his grace. Worship team, if you'd come. So, just a few lessons I think about, things to think about, ponder these in your heart. Do I see God's choosing of Joseph as grace? I, I start off talking about being a pastor. I, 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 I feel like this is... I can't do this except by the grace of God. You know, maybe, the, maybe the calling you feel as a parent, as a teacher, as a, a, a hospital worker or a machinist or whatever it is you do, you think, I, you know, I, I blow it all the time. And God's choosing of Joseph was, was I, I think he's a man of faith. I think he's a man that's commendable in many, many ways. I'm grateful for his example but it was God's grace that called him. Do I listen and obey God's word right away? You know, can I learn from an example of, of a man like this who, who on the basis of a dream response, and after it had really cost him, because you know, last time I listened to this dream, it, I, I had some really tough road ahead of me. And then I had someone after my life and after my, my family's life. And then I had to go back and I had to catch that dream so I could get into a safe place. Do my standards of justice include mercy and kindness? I'm compelled that in, this, in the midst of him being sinned against, it seemed like having an illegitimate child, he thought, his justice still included a mercy and kindness. And for some reason, that was important to the Father, the Heavenly Father, to put his son with somebody like that. That's what he chose. Do I lay down my rights and my welfare for those around me? Do I, am I willing to die to myself and sacrifice for the good of others? Do I see myself as adequate and in need of a Savior? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 says, For you consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. As we look at this story of the Christmas season and we look at the individuals that God was using, God was choosing, they're people. They're not impressive. But God is impressive. And God shines in those situations as he reveals his love. He reveals that he's sovereign over the danger. He's aware of what's coming before you. He's making provision like he did bringing some magi with lots and lots of gifts. God cares for you. God cares about you. God desires your devotion, and God will use you for his purposes. So, remarkably, 
our big idea, God called Joseph to be the adoptive father of his son, and he calls us today. Let's pray. Lord, we're humbled. We're also awed. Lord, we're warned because we, we don't want to drift into just being busy and active and not see the wonder of this Christ child, the wonder that you would send your son to take on flesh for eternity, eternity future. And we will see him, we will hold him, we will hug him, we will be with him. But we, like Joseph, are in need of grace. We are in need of your mercy for forgiveness of, for, to accomplish what you call us to do. So, Lord, um, visit us in this Christmas season. Help us to consider this wonderful miracle that you've given to us in sending your son. Lord, we come, we bow down, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.